Uh, it used to be, so when I got on, right? So Steve said, okay, just show up to three things. <laughs> and then once you show up to three things, uh, then you, you get voted in. Uh, we realized that that might be the direction we want to go with bringing everybody on. It worked for the early crowd. Yeah, it worked for the early crowd. But as you got more people and uh, different types of interest of different people, then you want to make sure that they're in it for the right thing, right? They're here to be a, a volunteer first, right? Mm -hmm. Their experience really doesn't matter. We have people with different types of backgrounds uh, involved in the squad, um, from everything from you know retired firefighters to people who are never firefighters. Welcome to the Firehouse Logbook Podcast. I'm your host, Robbie Dawson. And when I first got into, into the fire service, rehab really consisted of a five-gallon water cooler with ice and maybe some shade from a tree in the front yard of a house fire. But that's evolved uh, to some degree, and it evolved in the time I was in the fire department to some ladies' auxiliaries and maybe a couple of the volunteer companies bringing some fancy drinks like uh, Squincher and maybe some sodas and coffee and some snacks to the, to the fire ground to, to do rehab. And today, rehab has taken on a very different look and function from those old school days. And joining me today are two guys who are reshaping the look of that function in the city of Richmond. Please welcome from the Richmond Flying Squad, Chief Steve Korb and Lieutenant Steve Mayenberg. Gentlemen, welcome. Thank you. Thank you very much. Appreciate you having us today. And in this, this episode, we're going to break the mold a little bit. Uh, we're, we've talked a lot about uh, old school and some history of the fire service. And today we're going to talk a little bit about that, but uh, a little bit more about what's going on in the fire service today um, and maybe some opportunities that us old guys and gals in the fire service have the opportunity to give back with, uh, with Steve and Steve here today. So um, uh, we'll talk a little bit more about that as we get along. But let's talk about where you guys came from. Steve Korb, uh, first... Uh, you guys both have a fire service history uh, before you came into Richmond. So, Steve, how did you get involved in it? Grew up uh, just outside Cincinnati. My dad joined the uh, local volunteer fire department. He rose up to the rank of assistant chief. Around 12 years old uh, is when he joined, and we would always stop by the firehouse after school, me and my brother, and we would just hang out and, and listen to the stories and, and, and see the calls. I'd even go out on my bicycle once in a while, help him roll hose back in the day. And... Um, at, I remember we would always go to Myrtle Beach for vacation, and I loved the beach. And I remember I was um, about 12 and a half, maybe 13 years old, and I said, I'm going to be a paid firefighter at a, uh, in a beachside community someday. It was and a 12-year-old. It was a 12-year-old. So I kind of set my goal at that point and was very fortunate enough to actually see that come true. There you go. Well, how did you, did you get your start up in, in around Cincinnati? Did you start volunteering there officially and running calls? Started as a cadet at 16, a uh, regular member at 18 as a volunteer, ended up as, as a captain on that department, uh, took a career position with a very small department just north of Cincinnati and spent two years there. And then I um, realized I, I think we had a tanker fire one night and we were sitting on the old Keenan Loop and it was 22 below zero. And I, I said, wow, it's a little chilly out here. <laughs> so... I uh, set my goal at that point to try to find maybe a little bit of a warmer climate. So to, that beach goal kind of comes into focus a little bit more. Started working my way south. Ended up here in Richmond. Was, on, was taking tests all up and down the East Coast from about the mid-Atlantic all the way to Florida. And was on several lists at that time. And uh, Richmond hired me in 1984. Went to Truck 1 over on Lee Street at Station 5. Um, stayed here about nine months. And then Miami Beach called. It was the middle of winter again. And uh, they offered a... A good little package. I was 23 years old and got my car and headed south on 95. So Richmond wasn't 
as cold as Cincinnati, but it was certainly colder than Miami Beach. Yes, uh, I think the coldest we ever had down there was uh, 49 degrees. And they complained about <laughs> it every minute, I'm sure. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So I spent 26 years down there, retired back in 2010, and something just drew me back to Richmond. I, I love this town, I love this city, I love the area. So. Cool. Well, tell me about your, your career, both of you either in Richmond or, or in Cincinnati and um, in Miami. Um, you know, what kind of you, know, you, you said you rose to captain in Cincinnati? Uh, volunteer? The volunteer department volunteer. I was on, I was captain. I stayed as a firefighter. I had tested a few times, did, did pretty well on the test. And just com- I didn't have any formal college uh, credits, so I was competing against the college guys. So it's, after about 10 years, of, uh, I was on two different lists. I decided to just stay out as, stay as a firefighter. I was having too much fun. <laughs> that, that is a fun part of the job. Uh-huh. And then uh, what about uh, in Richmond and Miami? What, uh, what kind of job assignments did you have? Where did you work there? In Richmond, I was ran out of Station 5. Back then, it was Truck um, 1, which is no longer in, in existence. Uh, still is the busiest house in the city and um, was on the C-shift with Lieutenant Rowe and um, several other guys. Uh, had a great time there. Um, going through drill school was an amazing. I worked with a, a bunch of great instructors that I'm still friends with, some of them today still. And uh, what about your career in Miami? Where uh, were you in? Like, were you in Miami City or were you in Dade? I was over in Miami Beach. Miami so Beach. we had a, a it was a uniform staff of about 250 people. We ran out of four stations, um, four engines, two trucks, six medic units. High rise city, a um, lot of tourism there. Uh, a lot of high rise work, a lot of standpipe work, a lot of beach rescues. Um, we would support the lifeguards, and actually, towards the end of my career, the lifeguards became part of the fire department. So we worked well with them. Um, did every weekend you could be out in the out in the ocean pulling in people that were caught out in riptides and things like that. So you made that uh, made that twelve year old goal a reality. You're at the beach in my, South Florida. My final station was Station Three, and we'd look out the kitchen window and you'd see the the ocean was right there. We were literally right on the beach. Living Baywatch, right? That's <laughs> it. There we go. Yep. Real life Baywatch. Retired from there in 2010. Loved every minute of it. So you're, you're fully retired now with the exception of this uh, the yep. flying squad stuff you're yep. doing? Right, I work well. full-time now as a volunteer. There you go. <laughs> and love every minute of that also. That's fun. Yeah, we'll talk about that in a minute. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Steve Meinberg, what about you? You've got your, your uh, you got a bit of a northern accent, I would say. Yeah, so I'm from New York, uh, Long Island, um, born and raised, right? So uh, my grandfather also uh, rose to assistant chief in the fire department, uh, volunteer fire department in West Babylon, um, grew up. As a little kid, a lot of time spent a lot of time in the firehouse with my older brother. Uh, spent a lot of time crawling around fire trucks and stuff, and uh, really enjoyed it. And uh, later on, uh, we moved to a different town, um, West Islip. My older brother got on the fire department there. Um, he got married uh, and moved to another town. I joined as he left. Took his badge number, to, even took his helmet, and still have a it. Today. Passed down tradition, yeah, there. a little bit, yeah. So. Joined the same company he was in, and uh, I spent uh, about five years there. Uh, I got married, and I uh, moved to West Babylon, or right outside West Babylon. Um, and uh, I got to join the same company my grandfather uh, was a lieutenant and captain in, and then eventually assistant chief. And I uh, spent a um, good amount of time there. Uh, I was a secretary for our comp- the fire company. I was lieutenant, and I was captain. And, um, and I was there until... About 2011, uh, and uh, enjoyed every minute of being a fire department and being a firefighter. Um, was sad to have to leave it. I, for my, other, my real job, um, I left there and got a job in Richmond, Virginia for promotion. Um, so I moved to Chesterfield and uh, got down to Chesterfield and 
looked into being a firefighter and found out they did have some volunteer stuff. And, but with uh, three kids and a new job at a new location, it became, it was just too much. And I really spent a lot of time pining, I'd say, to be, you know, in the fire department. Mm -hmm. And I missed it an awful lot. So I uh, eventually led to this. But the fire department, uh, 23 years total in the fire department from, in New York. What? Think back to your, uh, to your dads and grandfather and uh, when you were growing up as kids. What kind of stories would they tell you about the job that really kind of kept you on the edge of your seat or you, you sat there and went, yeah, that's what I want to do that too. What, what kind of stuff were they sharing with you as a kid? My grandpa started with Cincinnati in 1918. So he came in at the very tail end of the horse-drawn equipment. So I remember telling him about hooking up the horses and, and the transition when he first saw a, a motorized fire truck. It, it blew him away. He's like, I, I don't think this is going to work. <laughs> so he was a naysayer too. He yep. like, he liked, just like every other firefighter, Old the school. way it was, the, the way we're doing it is the right way. Don't exactly. change the thing. And I remember him talking about the first time he saw a fire apparatus with a, with a windshield on it. Oh, <laughs> he thought that yeah. was going to be ridiculous. But um, he, was, he was a little bit older when we, when we were growing up, so he didn't talk a whole lot about it. But my dad has some good stories. He said they had a pet monkey one time in their firehouse. <laughs> and they, I think they had him trained to in actually get refreshments for him. <laughs> and, uh, I'm, be I'm guessing the refreshments <laughs> and that back then were a little different than refreshments Prop, today. Good yeah. chance. Yeah. yeah, good chance. He remember, and he told one story. My grandpa was sitting on the bench outside, and, the, and he was on an engine company, and the truck company caught a run. And it took on off out of the firehouse, but there was no person in the tillerman seat. So my grandpa ran alongside. He hopped up in there and got in the, in the tiller, tilled it up to the, to the fire. And up there they called them marshals, which is like a battalion chief here. And the, and the marshal was like, Corb, what the heck are you doing on this? You're not a tiller guy. You're on the engine. He said, well, I filled in. I am now. <laughs> I am now. So he, but, uh, it was either that or it was going to take out phone poles and park cars on the way out the road. He stayed till 1944 mm -hmm. and went out on a um, – he was injured on a, in a, in a uh, roof collapse, hurt his back real bad. So he did from 1918 to 1944. Wow. What about you, Steve? Well, I was much younger. Um, I was, you know, I was about, when he left, uh, he moved from New York to Texas. I was, I was nine years old. Uh, I do remember going in the chief's car with him uh, to calls. I do remember getting to sit on, you know, the front of the car and wait for him to come out. And I learned a lot more about him later on uh, when I joined the department that he was in, where everybody knew him, and you know, everybody told me you know, stories about Philly. And some of the stories you probably couldn't tell here, uh, but. Um, so his buddies were telling the stories about his him. His buddies were point. telling okay. the stories yeah. about him. And Those are the best kind. Yeah, and uh, really enjoyable to see that people loved him so much, and, and he was really well liked. Um, and it was unfortunate he got sick, and that's why he had to leave and uh, move, move away. Um, but you know, he was one of those guys that, you know, no pack, going to the fire, you know, I remember him coming out, coughing, and lighting up a cigarette. And, you know, it's a good clean smoke versus the bad smoke right. that they just were in. But. The, the old school rehab yeah. back in the yeah, day. Exactly, yeah, exactly, exactly. Well, what about, what about your own careers? Um, any big incidents that stand out? You know, I always tell people there's probably one in your career that, was, uh, that made you laugh, one that made you cry, and one that made you proud to be here. Uh, any of those kind of calls stand out in your mind? Start, I mean, in Ohio, we had that tanker. Uh, a couple of tanker cars burning real bad, 22 below zero. Uh, that was an all-nighter. Um, Miami Beach, we had uh, a couple that stand out. I was part of, it was the Fontana Hotel caught on fire back in around 1990. And I believe there was either nine, might have been 12 fatalities. It was the largest loss of life from fire in the city of Miami Beach. And that was the only call I was ever recalled from. I was at home. 
Um, got recalled about three in the morning, and I lived about 15 miles from the city. And as I pulled out of the driveway, you could still see a glow in the sky. So we fought fire that whole night. Ended up actually setting up a deluge gun in the third floor after we trench cut the roof to try to stop it. It was a kind of a winged hotel that was built in the 1920s and just took off. And uh, we were there about uh, three or four days uh, doing body recovery. And then towards the end of my career, um, Chuck's airline was a seaplane based out of Miami Beach. And it was right before Christmas, and it took off on the water, uh, out government cut, and they lost a wing. And the wing fell off, and it crashed. And I think there were about 23. Everybody on board was, was killed, unfortunately. Um, I was on light duty at that time, but I assisted with the Coast Guard um, transporting the, the fatalities into a makeshift morgue at Miami Beach Coast Guard Base. So those would have been the two bigger ones that really stood out. Did any, either of those, and I'm thinking probably the uh, the hotel fire, did it kind of change how your department ran those kind of calls, or did it change anything within the organization? It, it changed drastically the, the fire codes side of it with sprinklers. Um, back then, I believe all those older hotels were exempt from sprinklers, and that, that's no longer the case anymore. So, yes. There we go. That, that was a wise old fire chief from Virginia that said the fire code is Fire and building codes are built on the bodies of the, the fire fatalities that we've seen. So yep, absolutely. clear example of that. What about you? Well, uh, yeah, we did a lot of bread and butter, you know, single, you know, single family homes, uh, mostly fires. We did have a couple uh, big mutual aid, invite, you know, invite everybody from the local uh, area type of calls. A um, couple warehouse fires, I remember. Um, bad weather and you end up at a big fire. Um, you know, I remember actually sitting across those. There was a so West Babylon and there's Babylon Village right next. And Babylon Village, a very older, much older department, and they had a the truck that they responded first do still. And this was in probably the late '80s, early '90s. They were still driving. I believe it was a truck from the '40s, and it was sitting across from our brand new engine, which was like an '89, I think it was. And that was interesting watching the two of them pump next to each other on this big factory fire. It was pretty cool. Um, but the one, one fire I remember as a lieutenant, uh, it was a garage fire, middle of the, middle of the morning, a uh, very hot day, you know, volunteer, it's, you know, limited manpower. Uh, we, got a, we thought a good stop on, on it from the garage. Um, and so we went upstairs. With, I was upstairs with another lieutenant checking for an extension in the bedroom. Next second, we know we're talking to each other and we're going down slowly, getting closer to our knees and saying, I don't think we stopped it. It's getting a little warm. <laughs> it's getting a little warm in here. So, so yeah, little things like that. Nothing, nothing crazy chaotic like that other than 9-11. Um, that was the only other yeah, big you, thing for us. Yeah, you mentioned, um, you mentioned mutual aid. You want to tell me about that? We talked a little bit earlier about uh, where you were when September 11th happened, and I think you guys kind of had a role in that being – where were you then? Were you in Long Island? I was in Long Island, yeah, yeah working, as, working part-time as an EMT for the department that I was a lieutenant for and uh, responded. Uh, was coming back from a call. My brother called me to get back to the station, went back to the station, saw what was going on. Uh, eventually, we ended up um, getting on an engine and driving into the city, uh, driving um, to a park uh, where we mustered in uh, that park with a ton of other fire apparatus from Long Island at just about every town. So... Uh, it was interesting that, you know, one of the things I remember about that, that whole day, uh, was the lack of people on the street in New York, in New York it, City, yeah, driving down, you know, on the Long Island Expressway and there's no traffic, there's no cars, there's nobody around 
going from, you know, we, we met at like a park and ride type place and then mustered up there and then did a little convoy into, into Queens. And uh, there was barely anybody on the roads. There was no traffic. Wow. It was, it, that's one of the things that really stood out to me that day going in, not knowing really, because from the time we got in the engine to the time we eventually ended up in the city fire station, there was no, we didn't know really what was going on other than the radio, you know. Um, and then we spent a good amount of time in engine 319 in Queens, standing by for New York City. So you, you didn't get get to go to ground zero. You were back, basically backfilling the city at right, the not, not on that day, yeah. Yeah, yeah we, we backfilled for them. I'm, I'm guessing that didn't happen very often. Never. 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 Yeah. It never is a, a long time. It right? is. I'm wondering. Listen, you can't say never anymore, but yeah. you know, it never is a long time. That's uh, That was a horrible, horrible day, and uh, let's hope we never have to go through any of that again. Let's uh, let's bring it up back up to present day now, and uh, and you know, um, you Steve, you haven't been in the fire service since when? 2011. And you retired. 2010. 2010. Mm-hmm. But now you're back into the fire service <laughs> of sorts. What drew you back into this this community, if you will, the, of the fire service and what you're doing today? Retired in 2010. Um, can only ride a motorcycle and hike in the mountains so much. <laughs> and I, des- I, I really missed the fire service. Like I've always said, once you're a firefighter, you're always a firefighter. And a couple of years had gone by, and I started talking to some of the guys up here, guys and gals locally, asking them, what kind of support do you all have on your scenes? Because I was aware that there are some support groups in other cities. And they really didn't have a whole lot of, uh, at that point. So we started kicking around the idea and, uh, and got a group of guys together, and I had a donated truck, and we got with the city of Richmond, and the chiefs were, the only question they asked is, um, when can you be operational? And this was in December of 2016, and I didn't have a clue. I just said May of 2017, and we went operational April 30th, 2017. So Sounds um, like a good guess to me. <laughs> yeah. And it's been uh, really gaining traction since, and I'm having a lot of fun doing it. Um, we have a great group of volunteers. We're all volunteer, 100%. And uh, we're starting to expand into, we're currently in the city of Richmond, Henrico County. And our, our vision is to be a full Metro Richmond rehab team. Well, that's the name of it, the Metro Richmond Flying Squad. Yes, sir. We'll get into the, the name in a, in a bit. But uh, were, were there any, uh, any naysayers when you started up going, ah, this will never work? We had a few. Um, we don't need it. We've never needed that before. What, what do we need that for? You know, the, I, the typical fire department, I typical. like it the way it is. Don't change a thing. Yep. And now they're like, wow, you guys are awesome. <laughs> so <laughs> we've, we've won them over. Because we all, probably Steve also, we came from the days of steel tanks. And, and uh, rehab was literally bend over, put another tank on, and go back, go back. in. Maybe get a glass of warm water if you, had, if you were lucky. Yeah, we, had, we had ice in our cool. Yeah, there you go. So, Steve, how did you get involved? How did you two get hooked up? So, uh, I, you know, I spent some time on Facebook, and uh, I saw that, uh, that, you know, this was a thing. And I, I was very interested to understand what they were doing. You know, so just looking at Facebook back then, where he's got, we've got a much bigger footprint on Facebook now than we did a few years ago. And uh, just kind of followed them along, saw what they were doing. Actually saw that they purchased the, the unit we have now um, from Huntington Manor Fire Department in Long Island. So that piqued my interest a little bit. A little hand-me-down from back home. Yeah, huh? right. So they had gone up and purchased that. Uh, so right at, not too long after that, I reached out and I said, so what are you doing? <laughs> what does it mean? I had lots of questions. Um, Steve was nice enough to meet me uh, at Station 18 and uh, go over the truck and kind of explained how they operated and what they did. And 
I had a lot of questions because based on being a volunteer firefighter, I knew the commitments that you had and training and fundraising and all those good things. And, you know, Steve kind of put me at ease for, you know, what it was. And Steve, he said, give me what you can. And I said, okay, I can do that. And uh, found it uh, something that to help replace that, that want, uh, that, that, that need for, to be a firefighter without having to crawl down a hallway, right? So, and, uh, and not do a lot more of that. Put that steel tank on your back. Yeah, yeah. still exactly. So um, it just really, uh, really filled the gap for me and has as since. And how long is it? Did you come in at the start of it as well? No, or I was uh, about September, October 2019. Okay. So almost just about two years now. So when you started, um, what was it like? I know you, you mentioned you've got a new truck. There's a, is it an international it's international. It's a '96. Yeah, new. Sitting out, sitting out in the bay. It looks, it looks nice. We'll I'll shoot some pictures of it before we get out of here. Um, how did, how did it start? You know, that April 30th date. Uh, what, what did you have on hand? How many people? What were the, what were the, what was the asset like at the time? We had a donated bus, which still sits out in the in the bay. There, um, we had about 13 people. I was in a motorcycle group, the Red Knights. A lot of retired firefighters. They were our core group to get started, and. Um, that went on for about a year, and my captain saw he he's been in the apparatus purchasing and, and world for his, most of his life, and he saw this vehicle up in Huntington Manor. It was around Christmas Eve, and he said, "Steve, look at this." I said, "Well, that's awesome." I said, uh, "How much they want?" He said, "Thirty grand." I said, "Well, we got like two hundred dollars in our bank account right now." Short, <laughs> <Sure. laughs> but once but sure. once that was planted in my brain, and uh, I just said, "I got to make this work somehow." So at that time, we had probably a thousand followers on Facebook. And I just put it out as a pledge drive. I said, here's what we're looking to buy. We haven't even physically inspected it yet. But if someone wants to, <clears throat> excuse me, if, if someone wants to pledge some money towards it, um, we wouldn't even collect the money until we're, we have it under contract. No risk. And uh, I approached the, the Richmond Fire Department Foundation was our main backer financially when we got started. Approached them also and said, here's, here's what we're trying to do. They said, raise, just try to raise as much money as you can. And if you fall short, we're going to, we'll fill that gap for you. So we ended up driving up there and got it under contract and pulled it off. And uh, we're getting ready probably, I think, on Saturday. Goochland County is going to donate, or they are donating, a second first frontline response vehicle for us. Is that it's a, their old hazmat rig. Okay. Cool. It's out at Station 1. We're going to pick that up Saturday at 11 o'clock. So tune in on Facebook. You'll probably see some see a, see an know, event some there. great Heck pictures. Yeah. So. Um, you mentioned the foundation. Tell me a little bit about that group and how, how you guys are connected to them and how the city fire department actually works between the three organizations because I'm assuming they are three very distinct groups. The Metro Richmond Flying Squad, we're a standalone um, nonprofit corporation in Virginia. The Richmond Fire Department Foundation, they have the nonprofit status. Um, David Loving, Lieutenant Loving out of uh, Firehouse Number 10 started that back with Wallace Garland um, 10 years ago possibly more um, so they were our they are our main financial contributors and then uh, the local union with Keith Andes the local 995 helps us um, the city fire departments fully endorse or they fully um, cooperate with us they, they help us whenever they can their logistics division provides water sports drinks um, sometimes if they have a little extra money in the budget for um, canopies coolers portable heaters things like that and I see you know you guys are certainly well connected through the communication systems, we, I see radios, and I'm sure there's radios in the rigs. Yep. Is that all city asset that they? Yes, it's all on, on loan for our use. Yes, we're mm -hmm. known as Rehab One in the um, city CAD, and then Henrico, we are Rehab Three Hundred One. There you go. <laughs> 
Steve, what kind of what, when you when you get the call, or, or or how do you get the call, either from Henrico or Richmond at this time? How does that how does that process? So work? so we use an app called uh, I Am Responding, and what happens is if there's an alarm where um, it's a working fire, uh, we'll get the AL one, which is their air light unit, uh, will get notified on any working fire. So we're connected through I Am Responding that it activates I Am Responding on your phone. And the tones go off, and they can speak to you, or you can, depending on how you said. And you look on, and you see where the call is, and then we, any driver, can take on any working fire in the city. So if we don't have anybody staffed, kind of self-dispatch, self-dispatch okay. us. Yeah. So so if I look down and I'm I'm available, and if I'm not staffed here, I go okay. I'm going to be. I'll drive. I'll, I'll put myself as I'm responding. So if Steve decides to go too, he can look at oh, Steve's going to the you station. Both know you're coming. Both know we're coming. Okay. And uh, so that's basically how we get notified and how we keep track of who's coming and who's not. Um, and, you know, we, we also, we'll, we, when we get marked on, it'll go off again until tell everybody else that Rehab 1 is on its way. So that's fairly new that that's been happening. So you get everybody who's in I Am Responding gets that notification yep. that that air and light unit goes, which yep. is, a, 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 I'm assuming, a staffed unit in the department somewhere. Correct, right. yep. And that's kind of like the indication this is a real working incident. They're going to be there a while. Right. We're going to need some help. Yeah, typically, you know, the, the people, either you have the app, um, Broadcastify, or um, what's the other one? Pulse Point. Pulse Point, thank okay. you. Pulse Point's got the uh, scanner on it, so you can listen on that. So you can kind of hear a size up, understand what you're going to, so you can make a decision. You know, the, the officers have radio, so we can listen and go, okay, this looks like it's going to be something that's going to be there a while, and then you can kind of judge what's going to happen from that point. Got it. Our first, our first year, we ran about 20 calls, and then we ran, the next year was, I think, 30, and then 30, and then 50. So we, have, we like round numbers, I guess. <laughs> and, and this year, we've really stepped up our game, um, and we've been going to more of the bread and butter room and content type fires. We're there about an hour and a half, uh, but the firefighters deserve support at those also. And we are up to 128 runs this year right now. So wow. we'll, we'll easily top 150. So if we stick to those round numbers, let's say 150. <laughs> let's say 150. Yeah, I'm going to pick 150 for yeah. the lottery. Yeah. <laughs> so is that, is that, do you think that's because, um, or maybe is a combination of both? You've got more members and staff and they, the ability to support those, or are they asking you for more of that kind of support? It's a combination of both, but pre- predominantly it's, it's our volunteers that have the heart to say, you know what, we want to come out here and help more. But that, we have noticed incident commanders are requesting us more. They called yep. us up to the interstate the other day for that nine-hour um, tanker that was leaking diesel. Mm-hmm. So it's it just all goes hand. It's all coming together perfectly. And uh, you guys got, on your web page, you've got a um, call it a run log. Maybe yes. it's yep. a, and, it, and I looked through it the other day, and it's it's clear that you guys aren't there just for the fire trucks. You're there for the the guys in the wearing the guns and badges as well. So yep. uh, how did how did you get engaged with? RPD and working with because I think I, there's even a state police uh, support in there too. How did you get involved right. with them? I believe that was our second call um, when um, special agent with the troopers he was um, unfortunately was was shot up on Church Hill on Red Street. I believe that was our call number two. And the fire department side, the battalion chief requested us because they knew we would be out there quite a while. So we are happy to support the, the our, our police officers also. We've probably run maybe six or eight calls with with the with the on the police side. So, so. not 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 discriminating just to not the firefighters. All. It's uh, it's all those emergency services. Yeah, it's awesome. And this past year, we helped when when the civil uh, civil disturbances were going on. We were on we were staffed up and on standby, working with the uh, task force crews, things like that. So, 
So you, you do have, I, I see it looks like a duty crew roster up there on the wall behind you. Do you have crews that stay here? And we'll talk about this building too in a minute. But uh, you, do you have crews that are, you know, they, they have duty nights or days? We are trying to phase that in. That's one of our main goals for 2022, to, to really efficiently deliver this product to our firefighters in the field. Having the days from coming from home are kind of over. I mean, it, it still works to a degree, but to really efficiently provide this, uh, it's nice to have crews on duty now that we have a station. So right now we, we have staffed up a couple days a week usually. Um, I picked a Tuesday, and I do a 24-hour tour, me and a couple other guys. So um, we, we try to nail every Tuesday. Um, we've got a couple other people ready to step up. So that's, that's our goal. Is, um, we're kind of modeling that after the Philadelphia group. They're called the Philadelphia Second Alarmers. They've been around 100 years as of October. I'm actually going up there to help with their celebration. Oh, but they have a, a, a building. They have four units, and they staff that 24 hours a day. But now they're running about seven, eight hundred calls a year. How many people do they have on? They have fifty. The rules? They limited at fifty people, and they actually have a waiting list. Wow! And they've been around a hundred years. So, um, part of that. I, I figure let's try to model after them. They must know what they're doing. There you go. Hey, <laughs> hey why reinvent the wheel, right? I, I call it swiping. Yes. Stolen with integrity, <laughs> pride, and enthusiasm. That's uh-huh. There you go. So, uh, Steve, you're, you're all you're as a lieutenant. You're the um, you do deal something with membership and operations as well? Right. So I have operations and I'm helping uh, Lieutenant Renault uh, with onboarding people. Um, so we've actually had a pretty good influx of applicants over the last, I'd say, two months. Um, we've established a better process of onboarding. Uh, it used to be, so when I got on, right, so Steve said, okay, just show up to three things. And then once you show up to three things, uh, then you, you get voted in. Uh, we realized that that might be the direction we want to go with bringing everybody on. It worked for the early crowd. Yeah, it worked for the early crowd. But as you got more people and uh, different types of interest of different people, then you want to make sure that they're in it for the right thing, right? They're here to be a, a volunteer first, right? Mm-hmm. Their experience really doesn't matter. We have people with different types of backgrounds uh, involved in the squad, um, from everything from you know retired firefighters to people who are never firefighters. So uh, you want to make sure you have the right mix of people uh, coming on. And uh, Facebook is great. Uh, things like this, this podcast, yep. is, a, is a great recruiting tool. Um, so we're interested in, in bringing in as many people as possible that are wanting to volunteer and give their time back back to the community. So there's really no prerequisite you've got to have served in an emergency services role at some point no requirement for that have the heart of a volunteer first step we'll we'll run a background check on you just to make sure you you know everything's good there we'll do an onboarding orientation with myself where we show you the truck talk about our procedures and then we then you you have to do a couple of incident command classes so that you're up up to speed on that we help you with all that it's nothing nothing um too complex we want you to feel safe and be able to operate out in the field safely and and work well with all of us so um, then it, that then it goes into a phase two where they're actually allowed to show up on incidents under you know supervision of, of one of the officers and then that then there's a nine-month probationary period so we're always looking for volunteers and you can go to our website at rvaflyingsquad.com and and submit your name and, and email and, and we'll reach out to you within that day usually and uh, of the members you got now but yeah how many do you have oh yeah I- Right now? 20, yeah, we're right at about 30. 30. And then I was going to say 29, 28. So and we, right have about, 30. we have about six or seven in the process yeah. right now. So and Maybe about, I'd say, 50% retention mm-hmm. going through the process. Because some people just send applications and they never hear from them again. Uh, Other people follow through. So we give them all the information they need, and we're here to help them. So pretty, probably pretty it. much like any other volunteer organization. Hey, yeah. This sounds fun. Wait a minute. Yeah. I, I need to... 
do something. And yeah, this is yeah. now some this some folks really don't realize what what's involved with yeah. it. I mean, it, when it's hot out there and we're we're moving coolers and, and cases of water, it, it it's 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 phys- hot out some there. Physical. Physical. We're, we're hot out there also. So. Yeah, it's very physical. But um, and that's where we we want it to be a perfect fit between our 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 organization and the and the prospective member, and we want them to feel confident and safe working out there. And so that's where that that little period of they get their hands wet and their feet wet a little bit to see if it really is for them. Uh, not everybody wants to get up at three in the morning to come out on a call. Um, I don't do Snoopy dances when I, that happens. I didn't want to do it when I was riding. <laughs> I, 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 would, I didn't like doing it when I was paid, but yeah. So it's gotta be a, that perfect fit. Yeah. And I, we, we got connected um, through a, a friend of mine, JJ Murphy, who's been on this podcast before uh, at least once. And uh, he does a very similar thing down in Alpharetta, Georgia at his home. And uh, I think he reached out to you and connected all of us together. And, um, you know, he's he was a police officer in Henrico and a frustrated firefighter back in the day. But uh, <laughs> it's uh, funny. There's there's actually just like in the fire service. There's a network of of fire clubs like ours yeah. throughout the country. It's part of the um, international. So that's how you guys are connected. Yep. International yeah. Fire Buff Associates. There's about sixty uh, member groups throughout the United States and Canada. And instantly, uh, <clears throat> I'm actually the region uh, region three vice president. So I mean, instantly, I've got friends all over the country, Canada. Um, that run similar groups just like ours. So we, we can share war stories and best practice ideas. It's just like in the fire department. Neat. It's a network that's, that's really, a, really amazing. And how many uh, of your members, you know, ish, 30-ish people who are here, how many of those have some degree of background in it? They're retired firefighters, EMTs. I'd say the good, good percentage of them, a higher percentage of them, uh, or probably over 90%, have some sort of background. And we have, every, like I said, from retired firefighters, we have a former um, – uh, police auxiliary, you know, things like that. So, uh, seems like we're getting an influx of people from New York lately, which is always a good thing. For <laughs> it's me. a little warmer down here. Yeah. Yeah. A, little, a little warmer, a little, not, yeah. not quite Miami yeah. beach, but it yeah. beats uh, Buffalo, I guess. Uh, yeah, that's for sure. Uh, let's, uh, talk a little bit about this building we're in. I mean, it's, uh, when I, when I came up, I was like, yeah, well, that's a fire station. I must be close. And it's like, nope, that's it. That's it's not a fire station. It's the fire station I'm looking for. What's uh, what's the history on this place? This was uh, former fire station 17 with City of Richmond, and it was actually the last uh, building, last firehouse built by the city to accommodate horse-drawn fire equipment. So if you look at the back of our bay, you can actually see the outline of the old barn doors. It, was, oh, wow. it went into service in 1917, and uh, engine 17s run out of here. Flying Squad 2 ran out of here for a while was in continuous service until around 2010 when they relocated over to the new station on Sims Avenue. So we are in the final stages of actually purchasing it from the city. And final hearing on that, I think, is October 16th, and we'll, then we'll proceed on to closing. So the st- city actually still owns the facility. Correct. And so I guess that made it a little bit easier to yes. to get your hands They've on it. They've been very helpful. We just had to work through the process, right. and it's taken a couple of years. But well, what has it been since uh, since it closed up as a the, firehouse? Uh, public Utilities was using it for a while as kind of a shop. Um, okay. So, yeah, it's it's really going to – any any of the fire buff groups like ours that have their own building, you, it, you can just excel. I mean, pr- it's, a, it's, your own, it's our own cl- firehouse itself. I mean, prior to this, we were sharing space at Station 18, Station 10, and, you know, base space is always a premium. So sometimes we'd have to relocate our apparatus outside. So this facility – We'll have a you know sleeping quarters, meeting room, plenty of room for um, for our apparatus, right. that office space. So it's it's ex- really exciting for our group. What's the what's the kind of the next step for the group? Um, I, I asked that just because I I'm, I remember being in the first time I think I was ever exposed to this. I was in Boston, and the group up there is called the Boston Sparks. Mm-hmm. 
And I, I walked in there because it was a fire museum. And sure enough, there's an ambulance-looking unit over in the corner, and tones go off, and they go out the door. And I'm like, <laughs> is this a staff house? Right. And they go, no, 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 we're the Sparks. And I'm like, okay, tell me more. And it, it's very much a similar thing. It's They house the Boston Fire Museum and their rehab unit that's run by retired Boston firefighters. So uh, That is one of our goals, being uh, – we're all big history buffs for the fire service. We like to preserve um, where we've all come from. And we actually are starting to get people uh, donating a lot of equipment, you know, old horse, um, horse harnesses, helmets. I thought you were getting ready to say the old horses. I'm like, wait a minute. We don't have that yet, but yeah. The um, Chief Finnegan from years ago would keep detailed logbooks, and we've got all his logbooks locked up over in the other room. So our goal there is to, to be able, once we can fix the station up a little better, have display cases, probably won't ever call it officially a museum, but... It'll be museum-like. Yeah, museum-ish. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, a, a place of history there. Yes. Yeah. We actually, going through some of his papers, we saw an invoice for um, 100 bales of hay that were purchased in 1863 by the authority of the Richmond Fire Department. So. Wow. <laughs> well, I mean, it, it, I'll tell you the story about how this, this podcast got to be the Firehouse Logbook Podcast, and uh, yeah, maybe I'll take some pictures. Yeah. We actually have a watch time. desk outside, and it, it has a logbook. I'm a fan of the paper logbook. That's, yeah. that's why you see that book laying right <laughs> yes, there. Yeah. So. Uh-huh. Um, you guys are also you you know one of you's wearing a chief's badge, one of you's wearing lieutenant's bugles. You guys are set up very much like a fire department organization as well. Tell me a little about the structure and and how the the organization right. is set so, up. So right now it's it's Steve's you know the chief. Uh, it's really an elected position. Uh, we're actually having elections uh, next month, um, and uh, has once the chief is selected, he has the ability to select his officers. So we have captains. And lieutenants, we have a secretary, uh, well, there's a board, and then, well, the starting a board. Right now, we have a secretary and a treasurer. That's uh, a board. <laughs> we're starting to, uh, this month, we'll actually elect the president and vice president as well to have the board at least set up. And that'll be responsible for quarterly meetings, financials, all that. Kind of the administrative, the administrative side of the side right? of it. And, uh, you know, again, so uh, right now we have two captains, uh, three lieutenants, right, Greg? Uh, Greg, John, and myself, and... Um, so it's a good amount of people. There's no assistant chief currently, but there is an assistant chief's position that will be filled um, probably next month or so. And, uh, you know, uh, it's very much set up like the officers of the fire department and kind of that rank. But the great thing is, is it's not that way. Uh, it's not necessarily built in that military style. You know, you must do this type thing. It's a, more of a friendly atmosphere, I would say, with Steve. Uh, and everybody puts, gets their input and gets things done. And we, we chose to go with the traditional rank system. When you're out at, a, at an emergency incident, any, any firefighter knows what a chief is, knows what a lieutenant is, and, and they may not know what, what, what's the secretary, what, what role do they do. So you have the operation side of this, and then you have the administrative side of this. Mm-hmm. So that's where the board is the administrative side, and, um, and all of our officers and members are on the operation side, just like a fire department. So your officers, do they have uh, duties and responsibilities like training operations? I yeah. Steve, you're, you're yeah, so operations. Yeah, yeah, we have operations, we have equipment, um, and, uh, you know, um, training. Training. training There's a training lieutenant. So uh, basically the three lieutenants are operations, uh, training, and then um, as onboarding, basically. Mm-hmm. So. Now, I'll, I'll, I'll go back to how I started this, is uh, rehab has changed a lot. Um, and Steve, I heard you on a podcast earlier about how, how you guys kind of 
it's it's not just bringing water and and shade to the firefighters. Tell me a little bit about what it is you guys do as a function and a purpose on the fire ground for firefighters. It really it's, it's all about recovery and health and safety of the firefighters. Sad statistic: fifty percent of all firefighters that have died in the line of duty are due to stress and overexertion, <clears throat> and that statistic's been going on for for way too long. So rehab is really it's it's just a timeout. It's a period where the firefighters come into our area. They're medically evaluated. We hydrate them give them a little nutrition, paramedics check out their vital signs just to catch anything that, that could be going wrong to possibly prevent that stress and overexertion um, statistic. Um, if, if, they're, if they're cold, we try to warm them up. If they come out and they're very hot, as, as, as you're wearing that encapsulated suit, body starts to sweat, the, the sweating and evaporation mechanism doesn't work anymore, so your core temperature continues to rise. and. Um, as we know now, firefighters, the cancer rates are, are really sky high with that also. So anytime your internal core temperature rises, the carcinogenics that are on your skin get absorbed up, up to like 400% more. So in the summertime, we'll get cooling towels on them. We get them in the shade. If we can't find shade, we'll create it with our canopies. We have a misting fan we can put in order and try to get that core temperature down. Um, a lot of firefighters, sometimes they still think, oh, going to rehab, that's kind of a punishment. But it, that's not a punishment at all. We want you to get, get back into the action just as quick as you can. But they have done studies where taking a 20-minute period timeout helps your body recover where you can get back in healthy. And more importantly, we want you to go home to your family safe, healthy, and we want you to retire and live a long life. So. And I can tell you that the Richmond Fire Department does a very good job of setting up the rehab and making sure that people go through. Uh, I've been involved in fire departments in the past, and you know, rehab, what's that, right? You know, like you said, warm water or whatever, uh, or a shade tree. These guys, they, they have safety officer involved, safety officers making sure that the first in companies are going through first. They'll call them right out of, the, right out of work and put them, you know, make sure they get, we make, we make sure that they get their gear off, make sure that they're cooled down with the cooling towels, and then uh, um, Richmond Ambulance is there doing vitals to make sure that they're capable of, of going back, either back to work or back to work and you know getting cleaning up the equipment so they do an awesome job with that in the city and you guys are doing some uh some steps for that cancer prevention as well um you know that being the kind of the the thing that's not going to hurt you today on the fire ground but you know five ten fifteen thirty years from now after you've been exposed to it for years and years it's that's kind of where we're seeing that happen um we provide the, the, the towelettes, the decon wipes, and we hand them out to the firefighters as they come out of the fire, um, especially if they pay attention, wipe down around their neck, their jawline, where the hoods are. That's, that's a big absorption area yeah. under their armpits. And between that, core temperature, stabilization. And, and getting them out of the gear, uh, they've done studies where when, when, when you're out of your gear, in about 20 minutes, a lot of the off-gassing has occurred. So the old days of taking the gear into the bunk room, we know those are over. I was guilty of that. We didn't know any better. Didn't know that, yeah. <laughs> it was cool to have a dark, I dirty helmet. Bliss, yeah. <laughs> the dirtier your helmet was, the, the better firefighter you were, that's right? right. So that's right. Now we're learning that that's not clean is now the new dirty. <laughs> so, yeah. You guys are also working with um, not only within that health and safety piece for the individual, you're, you're, you're dealing with accountability as well, right? Correct. Um, we keep accountability of the members that are in our area. They're usually assigned by the incident commander when they come out. Uh, Engine 17, report to rehab. So we'll check them in just to make sure they're all there. And um, once, once they're, the safety officer of the fire department in Richmond is actually in charge of the rehab base. 
or sector, and they will release them back either into duty or to another assignment. So they've got a that, that safety officer is the one that's got the final say. You're you're cleared to go back to work or not. Correct. Absolutely. Yep. Yes. Mm-hmm. That's who we report to when we get on scene. Any uh, any big incidents that you you can think back to that you've been been involved with uh, with the flying squad that um, the you biggest, really think you made made a huge difference to those guys on the scene. The the biggest one was probably the um, it was a scrap tire. I think it went two alarms over right right along I-95. And when we pulled up, at that time we were based out of Station 18, which is on Thompson Street, probably six or eight miles away. And when, when, I, when we pulled out, I wasn't exactly sure of the address, but my officer next to me, I said, what's the address? And he goes, just look up. I go, what do you mean? He goes, just look up. And the column of smoke was black. And was, so he says, just follow that column. So that was, that was one of our longer duration incidents. Um, one of the safety officers did tell me a while back they – they were, they were able to catch a firefighter that had a potential um, medical issue that they were able to catch and rectify. So it could have turned into could have turned into tragedy. Yeah, we're, we, we're, yeah, we're acting as additional sets of eyes on these guys too. So when they come in and we they sit down, they take their gear off. We're watching them. Are they pale? Do they do they look okay? Do they look sleepy? Or do, you know, are they you know, alert and active? And you know, you can potentially um, not that we're specifically trained in that, but it's just additional sets of eyes on these guys to make sure they're doing okay. Yeah, another you know something doesn't look right here. Let's, yeah, let's right. Uh, exactly. step in. You get to learn what I mean. Normally, the normal tired is one thing, but you yeah. know, you, you get to learn what's normal, what's normal tired, and, and the, with our experience as firefighters, we know what normal tired looks like. But we also can identify when it's not normal. Something out of, out of the ordinary. Maybe catch yeah. something. And I think we make a difference on every call we go to. Um, those guys, just a smile on their face, they say, they say thank you all the time. And, you know, we appreciate them uh, appreciating us. So it works out really well. And you mentioned, um, you know, the, the, the st- stigma associated with rehab. Oh, crap, I don't want to I want to go in and pull, ho- pull ceiling. I want to go and squirt water. Um, it's kind of that fire service culture. Um, I think you guys are kind of working with recruit academies too to kind of ingrain this mindset of rehab at the recruit level. What, what are you doing there? We we always participate in the the recruit days when they do their live burns. Um, Richmond has one coming up in November, and that's where we can expose the recruits to what rehab is and the benefits of it, and 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 get them get them started on the right way. So, so they're training yes. the way they're going to be operating on the fire ground when they get to the station. Exactly. That's, it. It, that's where it really does start. Is you start off with a recruit. And, uh... well, let's talk about the name for a second. And I, you know, I, I go back to my early days in Chesterfield, and there was always this um, nebulous thing of you're, 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 we, we need to have a flying squad like Richmond did. Uh, tell me about how you – how you became the Rich, Richmond Metro Flying Squad and where that name came from. So they had manpower squads. And as Steve mentioned earlier, that this station actually had a, a flying squad out of it. And they basically were just manpower squads that went to all working incidents. So I guess it was basically, I guess you considered the early rescue where you'd have extra people coming. Uh, and uh, I believe they operated on engines originally coming out of here. Uh, and they would just go to all the working incidents. So all the fun calls. All the fun yeah, calls, okay. yeah, yeah. It's like, it's like nice being job. in rescue, you know, and you get to go to every, you know, every job that there is, you know. So that's what they did. Um, and, you know, there was a – and Steve, you know, he's – you know, his, the, it's his baby, and uh, he came up with the name. And really, I think it harkens back, and it's so special that they – some of them operated out of this station that we're occupying now. Uh, it really brings it full circle. Uh, and the name – 
you know, I thought when I saw the name, I'm like, you know, what is that? You know, my and my wife calls it the flying squirrels, you know, <laughs> you know, because of Richmond flying squirrels, but you know, not the same thing. Not, not the same thing. not the same thing. But you know, it's it's a great name. It really harkens back to some good times and, and uh, really um, put shines a light on, on the department and and gives it gives gives a little back to them. So. So they, they the did, yeah, they did away with them after a while, yeah. didn't they? They started around the uh, mid-60s, and it was actually nine, nine firefighters were assigned to Flying Squad 1, and they were handpicked by the fire chief. Um, they didn't have to do a whole lot of station duties unless they wanted to, but like Steve said, they, they were on all the big stuff, the fun stuff, the multiple alarms. The, they were the prelude of the rescue companies. Yeah. So in Richmond, it went from the Flying Squad. They were disbanded in the mid-70s, and they morphed over to what was called the Tactical Squads, and then those morphed over to today's rescue companies that we know. So, so now you, know, you just resurrected the name of the flying squad yep. to kind of pay tribute. Absolutely. They, yeah. they, des- they were the, they deserve the credit. And, and when we get into refurbing the station much more, we're going to dedicate a, a, an entire area to the flying squad. Um, the original, members, flying the original squad. flying squad. Oh, that'd be yes. neat. Uh-huh. Museum esque. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Museum ish. Yeah. 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 Well, uh, couple of things you know there's um this this podcast gets listened to across the country there's a lot of you know kind of retired fire buffs that listen because we i'll focus more on some of the history piece of it uh you know if you were going to give any advice to somebody who was looking in their communities out in the midwest or southeast how would you how would you give them some advice to kind of get something like this started in their community well i think similar to what steve did you know had an idea you know spoke to the department said hey here's an idea what do you think um, I would, you know, if they're from that department, they're, they're retired from them, they know what they were getting or not getting from that department. Um, and reaching out to the people that are at the, at the top, you know, getting some buy-in from maybe some membership uh, to say, hey, this, this might work. Uh, Steve started with, you know, two nickels rubbed together, you know, basically uh, with a donated unit. Um, is a lot of organizations around this country, like Steve said, um, let's say about 60 of them or so uh, between here and Canada, uh, that are doing this, and some of them for much longer than us. Um, there's plenty of people out there. International Association of Fire Buffs is a great uh, community to talk to and get involved with where you're going to see a lot of people like in, in this organization. We went to a meeting uh, up in um, in Maryland recently, uh, and there was probably seven or eight groups, I'd say, mm-hmm. uh, different groups that were all similar to us there. So it doesn't take much. It just takes the commitment to get it done. And uh, Steve's done a great job with that commitment. And it can really be scaled to your current needs and your assets. If you don't have a lot of money funding, um, it could be as simple as a couple of guys or girls in, a, in a, some kind of a pickup truck or a Suburban with some coolers, some chairs, some snacks. It doesn't have to be as formal as, as it as it can be there's a fire so station it, with two units yeah. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is getting yeah we've grown a lot in five years it still amazes me and uh, but it doesn't have to be that complex initially we certainly weren't i used to call us 10 guys in a truck yeah. i mean that oh. we just show up but it, it, uh, it it's if anybody ever would like some advice or help uh, reach out to us i'll give you my email at the end yeah, i'll be happy to help you get started um what about somebody who's uh, in the metro Richmond area who's uh, either a retired firefighter, EMT, police officer, um, or not, and they want to be involved? What, uh, what do they do? So it's you know, RVA Flying Squad uh, at gmail.com, right? And uh, so that just send us a note. Stop by the station. You know, um, you know, look us on Facebook. Like us on Facebook. Send us a note, instant message on Facebook. Any one of us uh, can help, and it's very pretty easy. We send you, as soon as we get your information, we send you out the information you need. We send you a link 
uh, with all the information that you need to, to join. Um, like I said, Steve's here every Tuesday for 24 hours. Stop in the station on a Tuesday and you'll see Steve here uh, or any one of us and uh, we'll be glad to get them onboarded and tell them what we do and show them that way they know what they're getting into. Come in with your eyes open. Exactly. Right? Yeah. What kind of what kind of time commitment do you have? I mean, is there a hours minimum training per we, year per month kind of thing? Uh, not really minimum training. There, there's some minimum training that we do right here in house. Um, you don't have to have any certificates, anything like that. Um, we do run a background check. Um, we have a meeting once a month, which is the last um, Monday of the month. And uh, we are encouraging people if they if they feel like if they're in a position where they would like to be exposed to station life or they miss station life, then we have opportunity for them to staff here. If they want to run from home and assist, that's fine also. And they just do that through that I am responding. Yeah, you respond POV. But like Steve said, you know, responding from without home. red lights and without no, no, okay. no red lights and siren. Just uh, driving. I had them back in when I'm in my volunteer days. So yeah, just, well, I want to get that I, out there. I had the blue light, no okay. siren. Yeah, yeah. But I had the blue light, uh, but here it's just you know respond normal speed. Even on our apparatus, we respond no lights, no siren. You know, obey all traffic laws, and we get there when we get there. Um, but you know, it's so much better to have staffing in the house because I live in Chesterfield. It takes me at least 25 minutes to get here. And then you may have to go 15, 20 minutes from here to wherever to the, the call is. So um, having people stationed in-house uh, is important to, to get there uh, more efficiently. Yeah. We're starting to prepare. You know, we'll cook some meals on meeting night. We'll have pizza. And it, it turns into a, where it's a, it's a social quarters also. And we're here to do a job also. But it, it should also be fun. You know? It sounds like it's, it's filling that void of the, the old firefighter and me wanting to hang out at the firehouse yep. and sit around the kitchen table and tell the old stories of... I remember that one day. Yeah. There I was, yeah. hearse tool in one hand, K twelve in the other, and baby clenched in my teeth. <laughs> we've, even, we've even had some retired firefighters just stop by and uh, sit. They'll sit here and talk. Lieutenant Heinet or Captain Heinet, he retired as a captain, and he, he loves telling his stories, and we love listening to yeah. him. And it, it's just, it's just, it's good for everybody. It's not only good for the firefighters we serve, but it's good for us also to stay involved and and to stay active. Absolutely. Well, I mean, there's there's that support from uh, of people that can. Um, can come and give their time is there you know obviously it takes money to run this thing is there opportunity for people to donate absolutely um like i said the rfd foundation is our main contributor um, we have a program called passthebuck.com and it's set up where a minimum of two dollars a month if you want to give um, it's on our website which is um, rvaflyingsquad.com you just link your credit card we use the the square system the square processor so it's all secure and that adds up. I mean, we have several members, several firefighters that contribute that way. And we are all 100% volunteers, so no one draws any salary. So every dollar that comes into our organization is passed through directly out into the street and to help our first responders. Great. Any, anything else to add about the, the flying squad and what you guys do here before we get to that last question of the day? Uh, we're just excited to see where, where we're heading. It's going to be neat. It's been, it's been a wild ride for five years, and I don't think we've seen anything yet. I mean, we... Metro Richmond, we haven't forgotten about Chesterfield. We're going to be talking and Hanover and Goochland and Powhatan. And with that, any, <laughs> any ideas of expanding the, the physical footprint? I mean, we're sitting in Richmond on Bainbridge Street right here. Uh, you know, Ettricks are good ways away. <laughs> right, now, right now, this is our main facility, will be our main facility, but we are always open to ideas and suggestions. Yeah. You know. Oh, cool. Well, I'll ask you the last question. This is one that uh, I've asked everybody who's got any kind of fire service or um, public safety background is, and one of the things that I've heard in the early days of uh, when I first started this is people really enjoy hearing from the, the experienced members in the 
in the service is uh, if you get a few minutes in front of a recruit school, a bunch of newbies coming in on board today, uh, what advice would you give them to, to make uh, their career better, more successful going forward? Be quiet and keep your ears open. <laughs> two ears, one mouth. Yeah. yeah, two ears, one mouth. It's important to in the, anybody in the fire service. And, you know, we used to have a saying, um, guys would join and we'd start calling them 622. And they're like, why are you calling me 622? Well, you've been here six months, you're acting like you're 22 years. <laughs> you know, um, and obviously just, you know, listen up, ask good questions or ask questions and, you know, pay attention. Um, don't act like you know what you're doing when you don't. Uh, and just be who you are and listen up. I'd, I'd first congratulate them, say, hey, y'all have just won the lottery. <laughs> I think it's the right. best profession in the world, and, and I've always felt that way. And it's, it's a club you can't uh, buy your way into, but you have to earn your way into it. And, and the fire department doesn't owe you anything. You owe the fire department. And we have the respect and the, the status we have today because of all the thousands and thousands of firefighters that have gone before us. So listen to them. Treat them. If they show up at a firehouse and they're 90 years old, Buy them a cup of coffee, sit down, and listen to them. Because we are where we are today because of them. Yeah. And, uh, and if they do that, call me, and I'm going to bring the recorders yeah. in and record some of that there stuff, you too. Yep. You're going to have good days. You're going to have bad days. But savor each day because uh, time, time moves on, and uh, it's a wonderful profession, and it, either on the volunteer side or the career side. Great. Well, Chief Steve Korb and uh, Lieutenant Steve Mayenberg, thank you both. A, for your service and your service today that you're doing to the city with the city of Richmond and Henrico and hopefully jurisdictions beyond that. I appreciate uh, sitting down with me today and sharing your stories. Thank you very it. much, Robbie. We appreciate the opportunity. Thanks, we truly do. And thanks once again for listening to the Firehouse Logbook Podcast. Uh, if you've got any comments or suggestions, uh, reach out to me at firehouselogbook at gmail.com or through Twitter at FDLogbook, Instagram at FDLogbookPodcast, or make sure you follow us on Facebook and search Firehouse Logbook Podcast to find it there. And uh, make sure you give us a review or a rating uh, through whatever podcasting platform you listen to. 